Hello, everyone, and welcome to the solo edition of Close and Quintro of the third or fourth kind. I am your Kansas City host, Jude Hunts, the Faith Outreach Director for Habitat for Humanity of Kansas City. Uh, and this is the solo edition in a couple of senses. One, uh, I am doing this solo without uh, my normal uh, partner, John Gonzalez, uh, of the Diocese of Brooklyn, New York. And uh, it is also solo for uh, the Star Wars sense of this thing. So uh, I will be uh, on solo flying aimlessly through asteroid fields uh, while my uh, counterpart, John Gonzalez, is on the Dagobah system learning the wisdom of Yoda uh, to become a better Jedi Knight uh, than I'll ever be. So I thought I would offer uh, a little reflection on uh, Encuentro, on Encounter, uh, by using a gospel text uh, uh, that is well known to us, because it is a gospel text that, on the one hand, speaks very powerfully about Encuentro, and it also offers us uh, a contrast, a view of two very different views of what it is to be church, and uh, we are challenged to decide, um, as a people of faith, what kind of a church we are going to be uh, uh, shaping and molding for uh, the present as well as for the future. This is uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, a lawyer stood up to pose this problem to Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit everlasting life? Jesus answered him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly, do this and you shall live. But because he wished to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho who fell in with robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and then went off leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. He saw him, but continued on. Likewise, there was a Levite who came the same way. He saw him and went on. But a Samaritan who was journeying along came on him and was moved to pity at the sight. He approached him and dressed his wounds, pouring in oil and wine as a means to heal. He then hoisted him on his own beast and brought him to an inn where he cared for him. The next day he took out two silver pieces and gave them to the innkeeper with a quest. Look after him. And if there is any further expense, I will repay you on my way back. Which of these three, in your opinion, was neighbor to the man who fell in with the robbers? The answer came, the one who treated him with compassion. Jesus said to him, then go and do the same. Now, we're all familiar with this particular story, and um, we are focusing here on the fact that uh, we have a couple of different, we have a lot of different things in play here. The first is, the story starts with a question from a lawyer. What's the most important rule of the law? Okay, and Jesus turns it back on him and says, well, what do you think? Um, you know, Jesus doesn't answer the question, you know, which kind of shuts off dialogue. He continues the dialogue, the encounter by saying, well, what's your thought on the matter? Okay, and the man says, well, love God and love neighbor. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. Jesus has said that himself uh, in other passages of the new, uh, of the gospel. So um, 
Obviously, Jesus would agree with that. So, yeah, go and do those things. Well, the lawyer wants to know, and it's not an uncommon question in the ancient world as well as in our own, well, who, who counts as my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? Now, at this point, you know, Jesus could easily answer, well, everybody, which is, of course, is the point of the story, right? We should love everybody, okay? Um, but that would not really be a very satisfying answer for a number of different reasons. One, uh, it shuts off the dialogue. It shuts off the, the ongoing reflection on that. It doesn't give us a concrete expression in terms of what that looks like, okay? Uh, and so he tells this parable, this very famous parable of the Good Samaritan, okay? And here we have a variety of different characters. We have a man who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Obviously, since he's from Jerusalem, he is Jewish, okay? And he comes upon robbers, which is not an uncommon thing on that road, okay? Highwaymen still exist on that road today, okay? And he's left for half dead. Now, we have a priest and a Levite who come upon the man, and they don't help him. Okay? Now, we might well wonder why. These are people who know the law very well. Okay? These are temple officials and whatnot. Why don't they help him? Well, it's the very fact that they are temple officials that they don't help him. Okay? They, uh, if they did stop to help him, they would be ritually impure or unclean. Uh, and therefore would not have been able to offer the the uh, the temple sacrifices and rituals that were a part of their office. They thought that that part of their life was more important than caring for uh, this man. And obviously Jesus is saying, no, that's not the case, okay? That temple worship is great, but it's not as important as worshiping God in the temple of this particular person's body. Okay, and that's exhibited by the Good Samaritan, who is a foreigner, a stranger, who helps this Jewish man, okay, uh, who is an enemy of his. Okay, the Jews and Samaritans, as we all know, are, are uh, bitter rivals even to today. Okay, and uh, this would have been an unheard of thing. Jesus's audience would be shocked by the fact that he has made uh, this foreigner, this enemy, the the hero of the story. Okay, but what's more important though is that. The man uses his own materials, okay, to care for the Good Samaritan. He uses oil and wine, which are typically symbols of temple ritual, okay, even in our own time, sacramental symbols, okay, and he applies them to the temple of this man's body to heal him, okay? That is to say, you know, true worship, okay, is caring for other people, okay? If our, if our temple rituals don't lead us to help other people, then they are lifeless, they are without value, okay? And that's the point of this particular story, okay? And so uh, the man then not only does these things, but he puts them on his own animal and takes them to an inn, okay? And then he gives his own money to the innkeeper and says, care for this man. If you spend any more, I'll give you, I, I will repay you whatever it is uh, you spent on, okay? And this is a remarkable thing in and of itself, okay? Um, that other people are invited to care for this particular person. It isn't just the work of this particular individual, okay? Now, um, to look at this particular story, um, I, I wanna kind of look at the two particular characters in particular. One is the Good Samaritan, and the other is the victim uh, of, of the robbers, okay? 
it is a very common interpretation of this particular parable from the early church uh, fathers that uh, the good Samaritan is Jesus, okay? That the robber represents all of humanity that has been robbed of, uh, of his goods by the devil, left for dead, and Jesus comes to heal and save us, uh, and he brings us to the end of the church, okay? Uh, and we are entrusted to the church by by Jesus to be cared for uh, and healed as uh, he continues on his journey. Okay, and that's certainly a very valid interpretation, and that's a great way to to look at the story. Okay, on the other hand, we could also look at the person of Jesus as the victim himself. Okay, looking at the uh, and that we are invited to. Um, decide what kind of a person we are going to be. Okay, are we going to be the priest and Levite who do nothing? Okay, or are, are we going to be the Good Samaritan? Okay, and care for that person of Jesus. Okay, who is often identified at, uh, as one of the least ones. You know, from the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus is, is uh, uh, identity is wrapped up in the vulnerable and the poor and and uh, the marginalized and Clearly, this man is in that position. So, uh, and in that respect, the story invites us and challenges uh, us to be the good Samaritan. Okay, because as the story says, you know, at the as the end of the story suggests, you know, which one was neighbor? Okay, that was the original question of the story. Okay, who is my neighbor? Okay, which one was acting as neighbor? Okay, and the lawyer has to acknowledge, well, it was the man who showed compassion on him. Notice he can't. <laughs> get up the courage to say the Samaritan, okay? He can't quite acknowledge that, you know, this bitter rival and enemy. Uh, and so he changes it to say, well, the man who showed compassion. That is the fundamental role of being neighbor. And it involves direct encounter, direct um, service to those in need, okay? Uh, it's not enough to just vicariously, um, you know, perform service to others. Okay, not that that's a bad thing. Okay, I'm not suggesting that at all. Canned food drives and things like that are great things. Okay, um, but if we're not, you know, personally encountering those in need, okay, and meeting their needs, you know, with our own touch, with our own resources, then uh, then we're kind of missing the point of this particular story. Okay, and so. Um, the again we see the victim then as jesus okay and we are asked well which one was neighbor okay and then jesus says go and do likewise be the man who was who showed mercy and compassion on the man that is our fundamental mission as christians okay <clears throat> now i want to suggest that this story um presents to us two different versions of religion that we've seen for centuries uh even in our own particular day, okay? There are those who will take the, the, the great commandment, okay? And say that, well, you know, love of God is more important than love of neighbor, that uh, the fundamental mission of religion is temple worship and worshiping God and giving God honor and, and, and all those things, okay? Uh, and that only secondarily, our role is to care for our neighbor, okay? Uh, and whatnot, okay? But the story, presents us with another vision of church that suggests just the opposite, that 
our fundamental mission as Christians, uh, as people of faith, is to care for others. That that uh, that we are to fundamentally, our role is to show mercy and compassion on other people. Okay, in very concrete and in very specific ways. For this particular Samaritan traveler, this was the particular way that God invited him to show mercy and compassion. Okay, there are a variety of different ways that God invites us to do so in our individual lives. Okay, and so that vision of church suggests that that is what we are about. That is what we are available for is to encounter the other, to encounter neighbor and to uh, provide care and love and compassion for that particular person. Okay. Those are two very different visions of church that 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 we are to love God through loving our neighbor. Okay, um, because you know God doesn't really need uh, us to worship and adore Him. Okay, uh, that uh, you know this vision of God that God sits on some throne and and wants and needs our uh, prayers and adulations and whatnot. Uh, First of all, that's metaphysically bad because God has no needs at all. Okay. Uh, secondly, it it, <laughs> it presents us with an image of of a very self-absorbed God, which uh, is uh, you know not at all what what God is like in in uh, in the Gospels, especially. Um, so we love God primarily by loving our neighbor. Okay, by caring for our neighbor. Uh, that's what the letter to James suggests to us as well. This is religion, pure and undefiled uh, before God, to care for, for the widow and the orphan. Okay, it's the only time the word religion is ever used in the Bible. By the way, uh, this is religion, pure and undefiled before God, to care for the widow and the orphan. That's our primary role as a church. Okay. <clears throat> And I suggest these things because even in our own times, we are challenged with this particular problem of what it is to be church. Okay, we have those who want to suggest that church is primarily about uh, worship and whatnot uh, over and against care of others. And we have another vision of church which suggests just the opposite, that we love and care for uh, God by loving and caring for our neighbors. And Temple worship exists to help us to become more loving, to become uh, more inspired to these acts of love and service and whatnot. Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, within our, uh, within the last couple of weeks, we've had a couple of different issues that have presented this particular uh, challenge to us in the church. And it's been interesting to observe and to watch these things. The first one, um, was a directive by the Vatican um, that that restricted private masses at St. Peter's Basilica um, to uh, a very limited space uh, and at very limited times that they were encouraging the public celebration of worship uh, at the various altars of St. Peter's uh, and to restrict private masses uh, uh, to be kept at a minimum. And it was interesting to watch the response and the reaction to that. Um, uh, uh, traditionalist Catholics and priests in particular were very upset by this and, and were outraged and indignant that they uh, were being deprived of their right to have a private mass. Uh, uh, and, you know, first of all, the Vatican was only suggesting that this was the case in uh, St. Peter's Basilica, that 
they were not saying that that a priest could not have a private mass for the you know for priests who uh, you know are of that inclination. But uh, so, uh, but more importantly though, um, the outrage was was really kind of interesting because if you remember, you know, a year or so ago, we had this very famous um, uh, synod of the Amazon. Okay, and it was primarily discussing how are we going to provide sacraments for people you know, in lots of regions of the country, and those regions are getting larger and larger, uh, even in our own country. Um, you know, we're seeing more and more places where access to the sacraments is quite limited. Um, and how are we going to provide for those, okay? And, you know, traditionalists were upset by some of the suggestions by, you know, ordaining married men or, uh, you know, women deacons and all sorts of other things. Uh, they were upset by those things. Uh, and at the same time, they're also insisting on uh, the, <laughs> the defense of the private mass. And um, uh, I wanna suggest that there's a real huge inc you know, incongruence there, okay? If you wanna offer mass, offer it for people who really need it, okay? Um, you know, get out of the private <laughs> side altars of St. Peter's and go and celebrate mass for folks who really need it. There are people who have who have a really desperate ac uh, need of access to the sacraments. Uh, and for a group of priests to, you know, to hog that with private masses and whatnot, and to not offer themselves in service to those who really need it suggests, a, you know, a, uh, a priest and Levite view of, of the church that is, you know, completely divorced from the Good Samaritan aspect of church. Uh, and so that was one incident that um, was reflective of this particular dichotomy that we saw in parable. The second issue, uh, which became a much more public one <clears throat> uh, globally, and in particular in our country, had to do with the, the question that was uh, put before the Vatican as to whether priests could bless the same-sex unions. <clears throat> and the Vatican responded in the negative that the priests could not do that. Um, and that set off a firestorm in terms of all sorts of reactions, you know, born against this whole thing. Um, and I, first of all, want to qualify something that what was being asked was not that priests could sacramentally marry people in same-sex unions, but that they could offer a blessing for, for couples as a way of maintaining um, some sort of relationship between these persons and the church. Um, and the fact that that very limited request was denied in the negative was understandably hurtful for a lot of people who, um, you know, struggle with, with, with that particular decision. On the other hand, there were people who rejoiced at that decision and, and thought that it was a great thing. And uh, um, that, you know, that this, kind of blessing should not be offered to this particular group of people. Again, what kind of a church do we want to have? Do we want to have a church that is closed off? Okay, that is the church of the priest and Levite that would not offer assistance and help to this wounded and uh, hurting man dying in the ditch? Or are we going to be a church that reaches out and provides help in whatever way they can to people, especially those who ask for help, uh, uh, 
and want our fellowship in some particular way. Okay, um, are we going to be a church of the closed, frozen, chosen, or are we going to be a church of encounter and engagement? Um, and that's the choice that stands before us. Um, and um, you know, with regard to this second issue, I'm I'm just reminded of a few experiences in my own life uh, in ministry when I was uh, a diocesan minister and as a pastor, or, or not a pastor, but as a uh, as a pastoral minister in uh, in uh, parish work. Um, one time I was working in chancery um, <clears throat> and I was uh, received a phone call from an elderly woman um, who was really distraught and upset. And uh, she sort of explained her situation. She uh, is a widower. Uh, she only has one granddaughter. And her granddaughter was uh, engaged to be uh, in a civil union with another woman in Connecticut. And she was, uh, and of course, this elderly woman was invited to the wedding. And uh, her pastor uh, told her that if she was, that if she attended the wedding, that she was going to go to hell, that she was committing a mortal sin by, uh, by attending this particular wedding. Now it was important to note that the, that the, the church that she attended was, uh, was a church of the Society of St. Pius X, which is uh, a church not in full communion with uh, the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, so it wasn't a diocesan parish, but she was really upset and distraught by this. And so we sat and we talked for about 30, 45 minutes, uh, you know, and I just listened and whatnot. And, and I didn't offer her any advice, but when she got done, I just asked her, I said, well, what do you feel you ought to do? Um, and she said, well, you know, this is my only grandchild, you know, this is my only relation that I have, and I don't want to break that relation. I want to attend her wedding, her, her civil union ceremony and, and maintain the relationship. <clears throat> and I said, well, it sounds like you've made your decision. I said, what, what do you need from me? And she said, well, she said, I need a new place to go to church. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I, you know, I asked her where she lived and she said, and I said, well, I said, there's a couple of parishes nearby there. I said, I'm happy to contact the pastors there. Here's their numbers and, and um, they'll reach out to you and whatnot. And she was very grateful. She was very happy and whatnot. And, and uh, she maintained that relationship with her granddaughter. The and, and I, you know, kind of stayed in touch with the woman and as time went on, unfortunately, her, her granddaughter's relationship did not last or survive. And, you know, she really needed her grandmother and that relationship stayed and persisted, you know, that may not or probably would not have happened had uh, the grandmother not attend that particular ceremony and whatnot. So, so that was one experience that I had. Um, the other experience I had was, was um, working in a parish and I did RCIA and RCIC, Rite of Christian Initiation for Children. And there um, was uh, two men in the parish, uh, one was Catholic, the other was not, uh, who were in a civil union. And they have adopted some sons from, from, from Columbia. Uh, and um, they, the boys, uh, you know, came here, whatnot, we were trying to figure out their sacramental records and whatnot, since Colombia is a, you know, heavily Catholic country, we could not discern whether they were baptized or not. And uh, boys were 
preteens and teenager and whatnot. And um, when we couldn't figure out the records, uh, if they were baptized or not, uh, the the couple asked if if these boys could be baptized and received into full communion. And you know, I sat down and talked with the boys, and they said, "Yeah, we want to do this." Okay, and so I did. I prepared them for reception at Easter, uh, and they were received into the church uh, as full members of the church. There were some people who were upset by that because, you know, they didn't think that it was proper uh, for this because of the status of these two men. And I said, well, I said, first of all, uh, I can't deny sacraments to people uh, who are not them. Uh, you know, the boys are the ones asking for sacraments. I, I you know, we don't have a right to refuse them, you know, because of that. They cannot be punished for uh, who their parents are and whatnot. Uh, secondly, you know, one of the parents is Catholic. Uh, they have sponsors for the children who are Catholic, uh, and um, they are, uh, you know, members of the parish. Uh, and we ha have a duty and obligation to care for everybody in, in our parish life, okay? Um, and, you know, the whole experience was obviously very hurtful for the two men uh, and whatnot. But at the end of the day, they were very grateful that we, <laughs> uh, you know, provided sacraments to their children and um, allowed them to be in the Catholic school and, you know, and whatnot. Uh, and, uh, you know, those are just very normal things um, that, you know, seem very <laughs> common and natural to me that we you know, provide that access, that engagement and whatnot with with people in their particular lives. And um, so those are just my own personal experiences, encounters with this particular um, situation and whatnot. Uh, and again, in, in these situations, I just want to kind of go back to the the gospel, you know, to the Good Samaritan parable, which kind of a church are we going to be? Are we going to be a church of the priest and Levite, or are we going to be a church of the Good Samaritan? Okay, uh, and in referencing that gospel, I will ask again the, the the question of Jesus: Which one was neighbor to the man in need? Which one followed the great commandment? And I'll just kind of leave it at that.